Hello, everybody. Uh, you're listening to Talk Clean to Me. I'm your host, Joe Karen. And I'm Chloe Holzinger. Today, uh, we are sitting down with a special guest. Uh, Alex, if you could go ahead and uh, introduce yourself and maybe talk a little bit why this will be a bit of a, uh, a different show today than, uh, than normal. Sure. Uh, so my name is Alex Pena. I was the CEO and co-founder of Avalanche Energy. You'll notice that I said was because uh, Avalanche Energy no longer exists. Uh, some startups actually make it and are successful, which you hear about. Uh, some of them don't quite make it, and that's probably what you'll hear about today. Uh, before we really get into the, the life and times of Avalanche Energy, I was hoping you could first tell us a, a little bit about that technology you, that you were attempting to launch. And since our um, audience will probably be more familiar with its cousin, photovoltaics, if you could distinguish that technology from photovoltaics. Sure. So the, the goal behind Avalanche Energy was to really take... Uh, hot water and try and make it uh, free from solar power just like what you have with photovoltaics. With photovoltaics you take sunlight, convert that into electricity which you can then use to power lights and uh, you know your computers, devices like that. Uh, really the, the idea was similar for what you could do with hot water. If you take the sun, heat up your water, you could reduce your natural gas bills, electric bills, and essentially anything that would need hot water in your house, like showering. Uh, so that's what we were trying to go after. The real technological, I guess, innovation that we were pushing was that it was a two-axis tracking system. So what that allowed you to do is instead of putting things only on the south-facing roof of your house, you could now put it on north-facing roofs because the system would actually turn itself around and move and track the sun throughout the day. Mm -hmm. So it's a higher efficiency system, uh, a little different than what folks were used to, uh, but the goal with that was to make it flexible in terms of where homeowners wanted to push it. Awesome. Um, and so where did this tech, where was this technology developed and how did you come across it? Yeah, so I actually came across it my, uh, <laughs> it's a weird story, uh, my uncle actually brought out his car from California and I'm actually from Colorado in the northern mountains. Uh, so we brought it out during the winter and he was very worried about microfractures in the engine block. And so he started looking around online. He's like, hey, you know, maybe I can like take the sun and kind of reflect it on the engine and this will keep the engine warm enough. And I was like, well, that's kind of interesting, but what if I use it in the house instead? And I used it to lower our natural gas bills because at that time natural gas was higher than what it is right now. And so I thought, okay, let, let's try and do this. And so that's kind of where the innovation started. Uh, at the time, I was just heading back to grad school at MIT. Uh, so I took the time there to really develop the technology, put the designs together, and, and really work on the concept before I graduated, and then tried to, to form a team and really head out with it. At what point did you decide to make this into a company? What was that like? What were the first steps? Yeah, so the first steps for me was I was actually using the technology in the class projects that I had. Okay. So I was trying to develop the architecture, develop the design. Um, so I really spent about nine months just working on the system itself, trying to think about from a technological view, how can I make this a better system and, and how can I actually make it work? Um, at that point, when I felt confident in the system, I went ahead and tried to approach some of my classmates who were working on the projects with me, said, hey, what do you guys think about this? Is this interesting? Should we go ahead and like try and push this forward? So it was kind of uh, finding teammates by convenience instead of necessarily skill set or, or looking forward. Um, so I think it was just I was looking for anybody who was interested in and would help me. So that was kind of how it started. 
Uh, we didn't have a business person. We didn't have someone who had done uh, any sort of marketing, any sort of experience. All of us understood technology and how to build a system. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's one of the things when I uh, look back on it that I wish I could have thought about differently mm -hmm. um, was that uh, none of us had done business and we, we really needed that business person because ultimately, uh, since it was my idea, they kind of looked to me to lead the team to do that business, to take on the CEO role, um, which was something that I hadn't done before. Uh, I had no business experience at that point. And uh, yeah, it, it, was, it was definitely interesting and something that um, I wish I would have thought about was when we're forming this team and we get going past just starting a company, uh, what's it going to take for us to be successful and what sort of skill sets do we need in certain roles mm -hmm. or do you need to be able to even develop those skill sets? Right. Uh, generally speaking, being an engineer, I'm a pretty shy guy. Mm -hmm. I, I'm really going out there and talking uh, to folks, doing that development, doing the pushing and the selling of your technology was not something that came naturally to, to yeah. me. Uh, obviously, I, I became better after doing it for three years, <laughs> uh, but also obviously I wasn't good enough at it since the, the company <laughs> is closed. Um, so that's something that that I think was kind of a tip that I'd, I'd throw out there for folks is to, to really think about just beyond getting folks who are kind of interested in the technology is, is trying to think about who's going to take on the different roles and what skill sets are they going to need to develop to be successful in that case. So you'd attribute um, in a big way uh, the, the ultimate demise of Avalanche Energy to the, how you thought about team composition at the beginning and, or, or lack thereof and wish you had uh, more business expertise uh, on it. Any, any particular like skills that you thought the team were lack was lacking that you'd say to a, a someone starting out like make sure you have someone who can do or is willing to learn X Y and Z. One of the aspects that that we kind of failed is creating that value proposition, mm -hmm. right? That that all right. Here's a single sentence of what Avalanche did. I mean, even in the intro, I'm sure sort of folks are listening and they're like, oh, I still don't quite understand because that's where I, where I struggle with it. Um, is, is trying to make that that clear distinction of what we can do for the customer and and how we can go about it. So I think that was one of the things that, uh, in terms of a skill set, is being able to not necessarily create something catchy um, and concise, but something that resonates with the listeners. Mm -hmm. So naturally, when you're first starting this company, now you're saying that that's that's when the problems originated. But at the time, I'm sure you didn't you didn't think that, and that you thought you were doing all the right things. Um, so when did you and your team first start personally seeing the cracks? Oh, that's actually a good question. So I think we started realizing that there were cracks probably, well, I don't know, maybe about a year and a half out um, once we had actually founded the company. Um, so it was the, the next fall after we'd founded it. Um, we started trying to approach uh, investors, trying to say, okay, you know, hey, here's what we have. And they're like, we don't get it. We're like, but it's so simple. And we just go into a technical explanation of it. And I'm like, yeah, no, sorry. And so we're like, okay, like, let's think about this. So, so we started going out. Uh, we actually were part of a clean tech open, which I think really helped drive home that uh, we were not ready. Um, and it, it actually helped develop some of those skill sets and try and bring that message a little bit. Um, try and refine it, if you will. Uh, so I think that was during the clean tech open, we actually learned a lot in terms of our, our messaging and, and the, the business skills that we were lacking as a team. Mm -hmm. We said, okay, this, this is bad. Like we shouldn't be doing this. Let's bring on some with business experience, uh, which again is another trap that we fell into is we just said, 
anyone with business experience. Mm -hmm. We didn't say, hey, we want someone who's understand marketing or someone who has potentially done uh, you know, a startup before and understands how to craft that message. So we just said, all right, you have an MBA? Like, all right, we'll talk to you and see if you fit. So again, it's, it's one of those things where you're, you're not fully understanding that even though someone says, hey, you need a business person, there are, it's trying to find those skill sets again that you needed. And again, for us, we thought, okay, we, we need a business person because we need to just, they'll be able to craft our message, they'll be able to do the finances, they'll be able to do the, the business development, finding the customer segmentation, like, like all these things, right? And, and that's, that's unfair because that's like saying, hey, you're an engineer, go build me a bridge. And it's like, ah, it's not what I do. So, so again, that was, I think that'd probably be a, a good way for us to think about. So we did, we went out, um, we found someone with a business experience brought her onto the team as a co- uh, co-founder. Um, so we had a team of three at that point. Uh, unfortunately, and again, this talks to expectations and, and team composition. So, you know, we kind of had this, this weird dynamic where I was located in Boston working on it 100%. There was another person in Boston working on it part-time uh, who didn't come into the shared office space but worked from home. And then we had a third party who was in Nevada working on it part-time while working on another thing. Uh, so one of the things that I wish we would have done because it ended up causing uh, issues with the team later was discussing how committed each of us were mm-hmm. and, and that level of commitment and what it was going to translate into for doing work on Avalanche and pushing it forward. What it ended up translating into was frustration on my part um, and, and lofty expectations from me onto the other two. Um, saying, you know, hey, I'm pushing this hard. Why aren't you guys pushing equally hard? Is because we didn't set that foundation of, okay, everyone's going to spend, you know, just putting out numbers, right? Everyone's going to spend 20 hours a week working on this, no matter what your situation is. And everyone's going to be expected to contribute financially to this, uh, which was another uh, sticking point because when it came time to uh, raising funds or taking on loans in order for the company to continue paying uh, for the small office space we had. Um, I actually went out and did all the fundraising to my friends and families and took out loans on the company's behalf of which ended up being on my behalf uh, later on. But it was just something where, you know, I was pushing so hard. I had this dream that I wasn't looking around to what was actually going on with the team and the company Mm -hmm. because I was just looking straight ahead. Team is, I think, when it comes to raising funding, which you were talking about, is one of the first things that uh, investors, VCs, angels look at because they understand how critical team composition is. So I'm glad we've spent uh, so much time emphasizing that. Um, one thing I wanted to, well, I guess you, you touched on it, um, but to, just to hear a little bit more about how personally invested you were in this, right? So you had taken out loans, you, you were working on this full time, so there's opportunity costs there. Smart guy from MIT, you probably, you know, could have been, you know, working at other jobs paying very well. Uh, what was it like to have that kind of risk that, and, um, you know, that financial burden? So uh, I guess I'm kind of a, a sick person, if you will, because I found that risk exhilarating. Um, I, I looked kind at of it, a true entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm just like a real entrepreneur, <laughs> that risk appetite. Yeah, so, so uh, obviously it was scary um, taking that jump, you know, saying, okay, I, I could graduate, I could, you know, continue to have my savings and, and push that forward towards, like, I was passionate about this. I, I thought that, you know, I had something that was going to change the American market and possibly further and I just let it let it all go right so um, I spent all of my savings and and when I mean all I mean 
all of my savings, either going into the company or just paying for myself to live. And I would say that looking back, obviously, that probably was not a good thing to have done. Uh, what I would probably suggest or have done differently would have been to find some outside source of revenue, whether it's consulting, whether it's, I don't know, driving around Uber, uh, anything uh, that could have enabled me to stretch it a little bit longer mm -hmm. um, and made finances maybe not be so much of a concern for me personally. Right. In terms of financially putting it all out there, I, I did a lot. Um, family, friends, I still have loans uh, for my family and friends that I just said, you know what, you guys took a risk on me. You, you made this promise to me. You gave me these funds that I'm going to pay back to them. I, you know, I don't know how long it's going to take me, but I just, I feel like it's the right thing from, from personally because they, they themselves had put a lot to risk on me too. Yeah. yeah. Were you also talking with other mentors and, and leaders within the community during this time as well? Yeah. So, uh, again, the, the clean tech open did a lot for us in terms of of trying to be a successful startup. Uh, they hooked me up with a great mentor, uh, Lad Greeno, who uh, was just, just a wonderful person in terms of trying to help us think about what was necessary for the, for the company, but also looking out for us as people. Hmm. Um, so, you know, he was like, hey, you know, how you sleeping, how you eating, just like little things like you doing okay. Um, so for me, for from that standpoint, he was an, an excellent mentor for for making sure that as a, as a group we were being both careful about our personal selves and and the business as well. Um, there are a ton of other people along the way who we kept asking for advice. There's uh, we had a technical advisor, um, Vinny Serati, who'd I'd go over to his house probably every other weekend, and we sit there and we draw plans for the system and figure it out. Do you still believe in your technology? Uh, so let's, there, there are multiple ways that I think about this now. Um, I believe in what I was doing from a technology and the ability of it to, pro, uh, to produce the promises we had in terms of the efficiency that we would have been able to hit, the amount of hot water you could have saved, the lowering of the bills. 100% believe that we could have actually put that out there and done it. I think it was achievable where uh, I realized uh, as, as part of this effort is that uh, the market was absolutely not there. Mm. Um, and this was one of the things that actually uh, led to the downfall of Avalanche as well, was that uh, being system engineers and technologists when we first did start the company, we really didn't look at the market all that hard. We said, oh, everyone has hot water, like there, there's, <laughs> and there's 330 million people in the U.S. And, you know, therefore, if we, you know, do the 1% of the market thing, like everything will be fine. Um, when we went back and we looked at the number of solar hot water installations in the U.S., it was something like 30,000 over the entire year. Um, I think that was in like 2013 or something when we could actually get data for it. And when you look at it, um, that is one of the things that should have been like a huge red flag. Like, wait a minute. I mean, maybe we could have revolutionized the hot water market and the solar hot water market and completely changed everything. But it kind of tells you that like people aren't interested in this. Um, and when we did some of the financial calculations as uh, natural gas prices dropped and electricity prices in different areas just weren't there or weren't high enough, um, you could see like, yeah, we were saving people, you know, $120 a year. And people would go like, okay, so if I just don't drink coffee twice per month, I've done the same exact saving as what you've done over the whole year. So why would I make this investment? It didn't matter that we had 
you know, three, four year payback with all the subsidies that were out there for solar hot water. Um, it didn't matter that, you know, we were reducing uh, carbon emissions. It, it really came down to there wasn't enough of a, a hit or enough of a pain in their pocketbook to make it worth it for them to take a risk on us. I mean, because that's really what you're, you're asking for folks when you're in a startup is, you know, believe in us to deliver what we're going to say because we have no track record. When we first spoke, um, um, what seems like ages ago, I think at that time you were undergoing a pivot, right, in your in your company to a kind of a D, DIY kind of branding the product as a DIY for DIYers. Um, and, and I'm realizing recently I've heard people starting using pivot for other reasons, so I enjoy that the parlance of the startup has, like, grown out into other people's lives. It's maybe just because I hang out with people in, in startups all the time. Um, <laughs> like I did a pivot in my life. Um, but um, That's hysterical. Uh, I just want to hear about some, and, and we talk about this a lot with startups, right, that you need to pay attention to the market and pivot, right? Can you tell us about some of the major pivots you went through, why you decided to make those pivots, and the relative successes of those? Uh, so we started out looking at solar hot water for homeowners, uh, doing standard installation, uh, and working with it. When we went through the clean tech open and brought on the, the business co-founder, um, she suggested going after uh, companies, after businesses, mm -hmm. saying, okay, you know, what about looking at breweries? They need a lot of hot water, or laundry facilities, or things along those lines. Let's, let's think about selling more units to fewer customers uh, as a way of trying to ease the, the sales cycle. So uh, we, we chased after that for a while. Uh, until we realized that the way I had developed the technology had actually bounded it very specifically for how much energy it could produce. Are you also running into like building code at that point? We right? were definitely running into building codes in terms of live loading. Uh, one of the things as well that uh, I would have never thought of because I just looked at the technology is just, yep, okay, I'm just gonna stick 10 of these on there and everything will be fine, uh, which it definitely wasn't uh, for building codes. Um, so, so yeah, we, we did that pivot to business and then we said, okay, technology limitation. We'll pivot back to homeowners. Why don't we try going after water purification? Uh, so, so yeah, we went after water purification uh, for a little bit. Um, then we said, okay, well, water purification maybe doesn't make sense in some cases, so let's try desalination uh, with the technology. So we chased down desalination. And then the, the final place where we ended was uh, completely scrapping the technology uh, that we had developed and was going to be working on uh, water quality monitoring. So, so that, that was where it, where it ended before we were all, you know, everything just completely fell apart. I ran out of funding, had to go start working again. For, we were very stuck for the first two years. And then we went into whatever, I guess I'll call it hyper pivoting in the last year where we were like, oh no, everything's falling apart, let's just find something. Um, which was a, a good lesson for me as well is, you know, I've, I've kind of inverted my way of thinking. It, it used to be, all right, let's find a technology, let's find a market, let's find a team, to I'm gonna find a team, I'm gonna find a market with a problem, and then I'll work on developing a technology that'll actually do it. Um, so yeah, if I were to, to start all over, uh, that would be kind of the order I'd go in. Um, specifically that period where you realized you needed to pivot um, but had trouble finding that product market fit. What would you have done differently at that point in the company's life cycle? Oh, that's a good question. I think 
the the way I would have probably done something different is I would have uh, felt a little more free to abandon the technology earlier. Mm-hmm. I I held on to my baby mm-hmm. uh, as long as I possibly could, and because of that, I think it really hindered. Uh, the relationship with the new, uh, the new two co- or the last two mm-hmm. co-founders that I had on, um, and I think it, it really kept us back from finding something that could have had Avalanche, even though it would have been a completely different direction, could have had Avalanche be successful because we were still lugging around the, this this hot water system and trying to force it into markets instead of just doing complete clean slate and saying okay where is there trouble and where is there a market that we can actually work in and then find a solution we got to that at the end but i think at that point everyone was so burnt out from doing this rapid pivot cycle and not having any success that by the time we got there it was just like eh, i I can't do this anymore and i think uh the last two co-founders saw my spirit if you will kind of die uh, along (laughs) with the technology dying (laughs) so so again kind of kind of grim stories right that you won't really normally hear people talk about, but, but yeah, uh, the startup gave me some of the the highest highs I've ever experienced, and definitely the lowest lows. And yeah, I guess I'll, I'll talk about that one really quick, if if you guys don't mind, in terms of lowest lows. Yeah, hopefully give support to to folks who Please. may end up going through that. Uh, we were working on getting a grant um, from Mass Clean Energy Center. Uh, to give us $50,000 to develop the technology, create some prototypes. Uh, We had made it to the finals. We were very confident. Um, We thought the odds were in our favor, and unfortunately, we weren't selected. Mm -hmm. Uh, So at that point for me, I'd I'd pushed everything on that. Funding was in trouble. I'd run out of friends and family funding, um, was almost through my personal funding as well. And so I was very distraught about that, and that is also, uh, I think it was two days later, when the business co-founder, who was my only co-founder at that time, said, sorry, there's no finances here, I'm leaving. Um, So not only had I not had the financing that I needed, I had also lost my co-founder, who I thought I could rely on to to move with me through the tough times. Um, So yeah, I I couldn't do anything for two days. Uh, My girlfriend at the time, uh, now my wife, uh, just tried to take care of me. It was like I was a a sick puppy. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you'd just been so defeated and it was a call from my uncle, the one who had the crazy idea about the, the car heating, who got me started on this, uh, who said, you know, I feel sorry for sending you down this path, but I'm extremely happy that you've done it and I've seen how you've grown because of it. And it'd be a shame if you threw all that growth away just because things didn't go your way this time around. And it was just trying to, to understand that, you know, even though the startup didn't, or the, the funding didn't come through, the startup wasn't delivering what I had expected, it was shifting that frame of mind of understanding what else the startup had given me. Um, you know, it gave me that confidence that maybe wasn't there before or just was covered up a little bit. Um, and so it, it just gave me confidence and, and risk appetite to know if I put my nose to the grind and, and work at it and truly believe in myself that, it may not go how I want every time, but most of the time things will happen and it'll develop. So I think that's kind of what the startup gave me. And so what would you say, so if we had someone in this room right now who was at that low, low, like what would you distill from that? What would you tell them? I'd tell them don't give up. I think every time I, I hit that low, um, 
not more than a couple weeks later, something would shift, something would change, something would fall out for me that allowed it to keep going. Mm -hmm. And it was just continuing the grind. So it's, it, if, if you believe you have the, the things in line and you believe that you can make it happen, just keep pushing. Things, things will change. That's what I realized. Nothing stays the same forever. Mm -hmm. Things definitely change. Cool. I love it. And so knowing what you know now and knowing what you knew then, would you start Avalanche Energy again? No. Not would you restart it now. Yeah. Would you, in, in your place as a grad student, do you, would you do the same thing over? I hope not. <laughs> and so this is why I'll say it like that is, um, I think in terms of Avalanche, from a technology standpoint, again, I, I believe we were sound, but I had been looking at things backwards. I'd been, been putting the cart before the horse. And so uh, I, and, and folks have approached me to do a startup afterward, and I've said, nope, not ready. And, right, and so, so for me, I've kind of created my own decision criteria now, and, and this is what I would have used to decide whether Avalanche was ready to, to start at that point. It would have been, do I have team members who have diverse enough skill set to, to handle the, the things as the company is going to grow? And say, okay, if I have that, great. Is everyone committed, generally speaking, at the same levels? And if they're not committed at the same levels, is there an understanding of when that's going to change, when folks are all going to be at the same level, when everyone's going to take that leap and leave their jobs and everyone's going to push on it 100%, right? So, so there would have been that. Uh, the team dynamics in terms of personal relationships with the people would have to have been there as well. Um, I knew these folks for, for about six months, had worked with them, you know, hit or miss here and there, but having enough faith that uh, they are going to push with you when it gets tough was something that you, you just need to be able to believe in that person. Um, so those are from the team standpoint, I always said, okay, those are my check marks. It goes to the market next. I say, okay, what is this market actually? Like how, how big is this? What are we actually looking at in terms of sales? Like let's be realistic on it. And I have to say there has to be a market. Um, so that obviously would have rolled out Avalanche as well. And then uh, last would have been, is there at least an idea that even if the idea may not itself be the best, is it a feasible idea? Like, do I believe if it's a hardware system, do I believe I can get this prototype? Do I believe that I can do the design? Do I believe that we have the financing available to do it? Or even in software, has there been proof of this somewhere else? And, and things along those lines to, to say, from a technological standpoint, can we actually do this? Or are we promising complete nonsense just to get funding? So, so for me, those things would have had to be in line and in that order in order to proceed on the startup. And so Avalanche would have been rolled out probably at number one or number two of those check marks. Could you see yourself, not now, but sometime in the future, working on startups again? Absolutely. I, I have, uh, you know, I... I think for Avalanche Energy, um, the experience that I gained there was, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. In my mind, I, I think I have more to give than what I can currently do in my kind of job and how I'm working about it. I think there, there are greater things that I can accomplish and addressing problems that folks have, businesses have, whatever it may be, um, is kind of what I like to do. And, and that's, again, something that I learned about myself in this process is that I will never be a CEO again. While I, while I was able to do it, I gained some skills from it. I understand I don't have the right skill sets for it. 
I understand it's not who I am, nor is it necessarily who I want to be. I don't want to be the business person going out there and making those deals. I want to be the guy who's sitting there in the lab doing the technology and figuring out how to make something work. Because what really drives me is solving the problem, not necessarily making sure the problem is heard or making sure that you know, folks are getting it into their hands. I just want to solve problems. And I think that was something that this experience taught me and has, has helped me to, to shade ideas as well is that you know, I, I need to be in a role where I'm allowed and, and given that freedom to solve problems. Okay, so my, my last question, I just want to hear about like the final days uh, of Avalanche Energy. If we could just go out with that and maybe hopefully this will be a little cathartic for you too. The, like what, walk us through the final days of Avalanche Energy. Sure, so the, the final days and, and I'll stretch out into to, to weeks. Uh, me and the co-founders were meeting about once a week uh, for an hour during the evenings because at this point I was working in my job uh, full time. I had essentially I was supposed to be working on Avalanche during the evenings for two hours a week or two hours each night and then all day Saturday and that wasn't happening. I just, I had lost every, every drive. Um, so I, I kind of knew that uh, pushing it forward and, and in my view is being unfair to my co-founders mm -hmm. because I was no longer holding up my end of the bargain, yeah. right? And, and when I came to that realization, uh, I talked to my wife about it and said, hey, you know, what should I do? And she's like, look, you're not, you have no drive anymore. Just don't string them along. Don't wait. And it, it was actually a difficult timing because the, one of the co-founders was getting married um, in about two months. Mm -hmm. And so I actually thought about not killing Avalanche until <laughs> after her wedding mm -hmm. to make sure that, cause she, oh, she was so happy. She was so enthused working on this. Um, so I, I didn't want to like crush her, but uh, came to the realization that, you know, it was important to do that. So we went, we met um, for our normal evening meeting. I was like, look, I'm done. And that, 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 was, that was the conversation pretty much as I'm done, I can't do this anymore. And she's like, yeah, I, I know, I can see like your eyes don't have it anymore. You're just not here. And I'm glad that you've told me now. Um, and so I've still stayed friends with her, still been in contact. Um, she's like, hey, you know, when you do get ready again, let me know. Um, she still wants to do a startup, which is, which is great. She, she believes in me. And so, um, yeah, I think that was kind of the, the end of Avalanche. It was just trying to, trying to pull things together and just come to grips with it myself and just admit that it, it was over. Time to move on. Well, I think that's it. Because um, I'm just kind of struck by two things about your story that it's, you know, a lot of times on this podcast, we're interviewing um, folks who are on that upswing and there's kind of some rosy eyed, rose tinged glasses happening there, right? Everyone's excited and this is really cool. But frankly, a vast majority of startups don't make it. And this is what happened. Those stories are important. So I'm really glad um, you shared that uh, with us. And the other thing I want to say is, you know, you hear this all the time from folks and you never know if it's really true or not, but people say that you know, if you go, you go out there and you make your startup and you're, if you fail, you'll have grown as a person and, you know, and you'll still be energized to do that next thing. And other people want to work with you because, you know, if, if you tried and failed, that means you're someone who's learned a lot and will have more to contribute to that next thing. So something that strikes me is I, I think it's wise of you to wait until you're emotionally and ready to do it. But I, I think it's really cool. You also recognize that uh, someone who's gone through your experience is going to be in very high demand for that 
that next startup. And, and it's an inspiring for me to actually talk to someone who's ready to potentially do that leap again. So I think that's really that's what really strikes me about this story. The biggest thing for me is that uh, going back to the core leadership team, um, I actually yesterday gave a talk at Harvard Energy Journal Club. Humble, <laughs> humble brag. I gave a talk at Harvard. <laughs> um, but it, we did it. I talked about um, how to evaluate startup health. And it really forced me to organize my thoughts on what really makes a healthy startup and what are like the three key things that I look for um, when assessing startups, which is something I do for my, for my daily job at Lux as well. And uh, really the, the first and foremost key thing that I think is the most important is the leadership team. And specifically that the leadership team factors in three main areas of experience. So first, technical experience. Do they understand the technology? Do they understand the technology well enough to make it better when inevitable problems arise? And then two, do they have startup experience? Do they know how to run a startup? Do they know how startups work? Um, since they are very different from academic institutions as well as corporations. Um, they just function differently. Um, and it's hard to really understand that, that difference without experiencing it in some format. And then third, industry experience in that, do, do you know how industry leaders would use this technology? Do you know how people um, would react to this disrupting uh, force that you're, you're putting out there? Um, and really all three of those, I think, are necessary in a leadership team. And that if you only have one or two of them, that's not a great start. You really need all three. Mm -hmm. And you fall into some sort of various traps if you only have one or two. What do you think? I'm impressed. I mean, that's, I think that's a very succinct way. Um, you're like a startup pro now. <laughs> guru. Yeah, you're a guru. Um, no, I, I, I agree with my experience. I don't know how you feel about it, Alex. Does that kind of... Um, hit some of the themes that you would look for in your next endeavor? Um, yeah, so, so from my perspective, that's exactly right. You know, you need to have those, all of those three points in play. And, and again, there were a lot of problems we ran into. I didn't touch on it, but even with the third one, you talk about industry experience. I wasn't a hot water guy. I had no idea what I was doing. And ultimately, that caused additional problems to fracture us. So that's a good point on you. All right, cool. ready to take us away, Chloe? Yeah, yeah. So in the show notes, you will find more. Uh, actually, will they find more? Um, Why wouldn't they? Oh, because there's no website? I'd say if there are any folks uh, who hear this who are interested in chatting, maybe going through any of these challenges and would like a perspective on it and, and someone who's gone through it before, I'm, I'm happy to chat with folks. I've, I've always been tried to be as open as I can about the experience, and I'll try and be that way with you if you decide to reach out. So they'll uh, leave my contact information down there and look forward to chatting if you need. Perfect. So in the show notes, you will find Alex's contact information. And if you would like to support the show, please tell a friend, tweet about us, uh, subscribe to the show. Um, we are available for download on iTunes and SoundCloud. Uh, so, so please subscribe and rate the show. It really matters to us. Um, and... In the future, we may have a newsletter, potentially. Mm. 
So please add your email to our email list on the website. Um, and for suggestions, please get in touch. Visit TalkCleanPodcast.com, tweet at us at TalkCleanPodcast, or email contact at TalkCleanPodcast.com. Cool. So please reach out, guys. We'd love to hear from you. Um, your thoughts on the show. Giving us those five stars really help. If you want to make any bizarre requests based on our uh, uh, challenges from first season, you're welcome to do so. Uh, we'll probably start coming up with some challenges again soon, too. Um, but that's, uh, that's pretty much it for us. Alex, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, this was a lot of fun. And um, thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks a lot. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, guys.